Hello, and uh, welcome to another episode of our Take 15 webcast series. My name is Rob Gowan. I'm Director of Member Products at CFA Institute. And joining me today is the legendary uh, forensic accountant, uh, Howard Schillett, who uh, wrote the book, Financial Shenanigans, How to Detect Accounting, Gimmicks, and Fraud in Financial Reports. So, uh, Howard, thank you very much for joining us. Rob, pleasure to be here. When we were talking earlier, you had mentioned uh, your propensity to be a historian. And so um, I think it would be really interesting to start off the interview to talk about your perspective over the past decade or so from the perspective of uh, a forensic accountant and perhaps some themes and lessons learned. Okay. As a historian, I'll, I'll probably go back a little before the last decade. Uh, I became interested in uh, learning lessons from the past financial uh, frauds, I'm calling financial shenanigans, uh, when I was a doctoral student. And so basically in the early 1990s, when I first uh, began speaking about uh, the big accounting stories at the time, and that's when uh, the first book, Financial Shenanigans, came out, uh, I've continued to be uh, amazed by the creativity of management to just come up with new and new ways to play old games. So uh, the second edition of Financial Shenanigans came out at the, uh, the period when Enron was just becoming known and eight years have passed and I thought it was time to look at the big accounting stories of the last decade and let me begin with Enron because that uh, in many people's mind is the granddaddy. There was not only a book about it, there was a movie and actually there is a play that opened in London, and the New York version of it opened, and for whatever reason, it didn't translate too well in, into the New York audience. What were the, the lessons an historian like me uh, took away from uh, studying Enron? Uh, the, the story was all found in the change in their sales. And most of the accounting frauds, believe it or not, you don't have to go too much further than the top line, which is the, the company's sales. Uh, Enron's sales had grown in one year from $40 billion to $100 billion. And I've looked at many companies, in U.S. companies, Chinese. I've never seen any company of such size grow organically by $60 billion in one year. And I did some further studying in terms of other companies that got to $100 billion. Uh, Enron did it in four years from the time it was a $10 billion company until it got to $100 billion. Most companies that got to $100 billion took a quarter of a century. Okay, so again, the historian in me says, if I see an observation that looks unusual, that is growing from 40 to 100, let me look at other companies and see, is this very unusual? Is it unprecedented? And at that point, once I found that no company had gotten to the 100 billion mark from 10 to 100 billion in less than 10 years, Walmart had the record before that, I knew that sales were made up. And when, when you know the right company and the right account, you're 90% along the way of figuring it out because you're asking the right questions. And there were few very peculiar things they were doing. Most peculiar was in their trading business, let's say they're doing a $100 million uh, commodity contract. Well, they're the, the intermediary, they're the eBay, just like Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley. And let's say the commission they charge for that service is 100000 
Well, the proper way to account for it is you record revenue of 100,000. Enron recorded revenue of 100 million, comma, 100,000. So, of course, the, the uh, very creative way they recorded that uh, led to a company whose sales, of course, would grow to $100 billion very quickly. So that's just one, one specific example of how I, I identified something unusual in numbers and just by uh, focusing on the right account, uh, you, you simply, uh, in time, will be able to come up with probing questions and figure it out. Now, you had um, mentioned that you know, you've you just looked at their sales um, as a good indicator that there's potentially accounting fraud there. So um, broadening that to other metrics, yeah. is there any commentary you can give us on screening both quantitatively and qualitatively that can help us identify those companies you know, before it gets too yeah. late? And, and uh, usually it is a, a mix of both the quantitative and qualitative. And I'll give you an example of how I combine the two and how maybe in some cases the quantitative measure would lead me to question whether the numbers are real. Enron is, is one example where it was a quantitative measure. Uh, Let's, let's use an example of a company whose uh, receivables have been stretching out. The DSOs, day sales of receivables, uh, have been stretching out from 40 days to 52 to 70 days over a three-quarter period. Well, most analysts will have the same database to screen for that, and we all realize that's a negative sign, and it's going to cause the stock price to come under pressure. Well, management wants the stock price to go up. They look at the problem through the eyes of the investor, and they say, you know, the investors are giving us a hard time because the DSOs are getting so high, we have to fix that problem. Okay. The next data point in the quant screen is, to me, the most interesting in this example. Right, it had gone from 40 up to over 70 days over three periods. The next period, the DSOs dropped to 37 days. Okay, true story. Okay, the reaction in the marketplace is that's great news. The company solved their problem. Customers like the product. They're paying on time. Okay, the message I got from that is looks unusual. When a company is having some big problem over a period of time, to see a huge improvement so quickly, it's almost like somebody who's been sick for a while and all of a sudden wakes up and runs the Boston Marathon. I mean, they, it just seemed illogical. Okay, so the quantitative screen, how to best use it, is not looking for the obvious. Okay, the obvious is already reflected in the numbers. That is, doing a screen just looking for DSOs increasing, I'm not saying you're going to find no value. But if everybody is doing that, they're going to come to the same result. Hey, this is a company who's having a problem collecting from the customers. What's a much better screen is adding the following component. That is, let me look at a company whose DSOs have been racing out of control, and boom, you see the next point where there's a dramatic improvement. Okay, so the, the uh, quant screens are great as a way of, of when you're starting with 10,000 companies and whittling that down to a manageable number. So if, if in my line of work, 
I'm not looking for companies that are the best. I'm looking for companies that might be faking it. So I have to always look for a company where there's a picture that's portrayed in the quant screens, because okay? everybody's conditioned to just do the straight, plain vanilla screen, and look for a company where I think those numbers may be faked. So that is, if it was a company that had problems, got very healthy, one of two things could have happened. Either the numbers are correct, and after I do more qualitative research and interview management, mm. I will confirm that, you know something, it looks pretty amazing that the DSOs came down so much, but it's corroborated by the qualitative uh, information I'm getting as well. The other possibility is it's not corroborated, and you know if you own that company stock, it's probably not a safe place to be. That's interesting. Um, now to talk about history in the making, um, you know, you'd mentioned that there was a big report um, that was just released about Lehman Brothers, you know, one of the biggest uh, bankruptcies or the biggest bankruptcy that uh, the U.S. economy has ever seen, and it was just full of accounting shenanigans. So would uh, just be really interested to get your thoughts on that. I'm, I'm sort of reminded when uh, the Obama administration first came to power and uh, Rahm Emanuel uh, was saying, you never let a crisis uh, go without some benefit coming from it. Look at the, the fraud at Lehman Brothers. Look, the biggest fraud, there's nothing, nothing at this point that we can do other than not letting that go without any value. So uh, I was overjoyed when uh, the bankruptcy court examiner, the law firm that was paid something like $20 million, spent 18 months going through all of the emails and documents and interviewing Dick Fold and the auditors at Ernst & Young, and they put together an amazing report that uh, 2,200 pages, as you mentioned, one-fourth of it was focused exclusively on the accounting tricks. Okay. And the big accounting issue there, as we remember, the investment banks uh, were under a lot of pressure because they were so leveraged. Right. They are stern, 30 times their capital. And so the, the picture that Lehman was trying to portray was that their net leverage was improving. And if you read the press release, that was really the theme. They wanted to improve that. And so here's, here's the accounting trick. They would borrow tens of billions of dollars for normal operating, even payroll. The big uh, investment banks didn't have a cash register with a lot of money, so they would do a three-day loan or a seven-day, and they, was, they would call it repurchase agreements. Okay. Well, when you borrow from a bank, the bank obviously wants you to put up some collateral in case you're a deadbeat. Okay. The way Lehman accounted for those loans, and in one quarter, it was $50 billion the last week of the quarter, they said, we're going to treat that as if it was a sale of the asset, the collateral. It was beyond ridiculous. And I think uh, the lesson, certainly if we were broadening it not just to CFAs, but to CPAs and auditors, is you have to understand what the objective of the transaction. If the objective is to borrow money, you have to put the loan on your books. If the objective is you are selling an asset and you're getting another asset in exchange, well, that's a different thing. And the two are as different as night and day. 
And I, in reading that, that section in the examiner's report, it was just a fascinating opportunity to see how Lehman tried so hard to get around not only the, the spirit of the law, but the letter where they could not get approval from their law firm in the United States to do it in that fashion, and they shopped around and found a law firm in Britain, and they ran all of the transactions through that. So I think this should be a required reading for anybody who is a financial analyst, because there are very few opportunities like this where you have such detail, and thank, thanks to uh, the bankruptcy court, we have this amazing learning document. Excellent. Well, Howard, thank you so much uh, for spending some time with us. I'm sure we could spend hours. Um, and uh, thank you very much for watching. And for more webcasts like this one, please visit cfawebcasts.org. Copyright 2010, CFA Institute. No part may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, electronic, mechanical, recording, or otherwise, without the express prior written permission of CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.